Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, travelling bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Ominous. Well, we just saw in those videos, one from the Falconers uh, in Mozambique, about their ministry there. And when I was chatting um, with Scott and Beck just before they headed back, it struck me how simple their approach to evangelism, to sharing the gospel is, and how similar it is to some of the approaches we've uh, started using here. It's simply this. Build a relationship and read the Bible with someone. It's really that simple. I mean, who'd have thought that being a missionary was so easy? Apart from language, poverty, cultural differences, lack of health facilities, distance from family, etc., etc., etc. So pray for our missionaries. But the actual process is very simple. I mean, for us here in Australia, it's very easy for us to think that uh, we live in a, a country where people aren't that interested in spiritual things and it's all too hard. The number of people who identify as Christians in Australia and in the West, actually, has been declining for um, 70 years, actually. That, that's very true. And, of course, now less than half identify as Christians. But often what we're seeing people do in, in those statistics is react against institutional religion, particularly institutional Christianity, by which they usually mean priests and organisation. When you scratch beneath the surface, you discover that people actually are still very spiritual. And people have a spiritual longing in their hearts that they're looking to fill and usually fill up with all sorts of unhelpful things. You know, Jesus, of course, lived in a very spiritual society. I mean, we might think one that was more spiritual than ours, but really it was the opposite side of the same coin. People were seeking God. In Roman society, Greek society, most of the world then, they were usually seeking the wrong gods. But even when they were trying to find the true God, they were often blocked by institutional religion. <coughs> But Jesus says whether it was back then or now, the harvest isn't the problem. 
It's not that there is nothing out there that we can gather in. The harvest is abundant, he said. There's plenty of fruit out there. The problem is there's just not enough people to go and get it. There's not enough harvesters. That actually sounds a bit familiar in the real world, doesn't it? Anyone tried to build a house recently? We can't even get a pergola put up because of lack of workers. Jesus says it's the same with the gospel. It's not that there's a lack of people who are interested. It's a lack of people who are willing to go and share with them. Jesus says to the disciples then, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Do we pray that? Do you pray that? I'll talk more about that in a minute. But what I love in this verse, or what I maybe don't love, voila, you are the answer to that prayer. He sends them out two by two to go into the harvest. Now, how do you reckon the 72 reacted in that moment? 12 is in a corridor already had their go. Do you reckon they were as freaked out as you would be if Jesus told you to do that? So many of us fear sharing the gospel for all sorts of reasons. Often it's because we don't know what to say. Or maybe it's because we fear getting it wrong or we fear being Rejected. What do we do with that? Well, Jesus says to you, yep. He said to the 72, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be dangers. But you're going to experience some wins as well. That's really going to make it worth it. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how can we set ourselves up to experience some of the wins a little more often. So I don't know about you, but I've experienced plenty of misses in evangelism. I'd like to get a few more hits. How can we be fruitful in the harvest field? Well, Jesus in verse 6 gives us a key when he talks about Uh, identifying a person of peace. Well, verse 5, whatever house you enter, whatever relationship you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him or her, and if not, it will return to you. The key, Jesus says, is identifying people of peace. Now, you may have heard me talk about this in the past. I'm going to keep banging on about it a lot because it's a great principle. Of course, if you're an evangelist, you're going to be saying, but Alex, we need to be reaching everyone. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. And you know what I'm going to say to you? You're absolutely right. Everyone does. I mean, Jesus here talks about telling the gospel to people who don't receive it. Everyone needs a chance to hear the gospel. But here's the thing. Most of us aren't evangelists. Most of us can barely admit in public that we're Christians, let alone share the gospel with one another. So if you're the evangelistic type who just can't keep their mouth closed and has to tell everyone, go for it. We need you. We need more people like you. But most of us just aren't in that space. 
And so this peace, people of peace principle can really be empowering for those of us who are a little bit more timid about sharing the gospel. If we can find the people of peace in our lives using the principles Jesus uh, sets out here, what we're going to do is discover people who are more open to the gospel, maybe even hungry for the gospel, and ways that we can share the gospel with them. Well, so how, how is it, though, that we discover then who people of peace are in our lives? Well, for the 72, it was a little bit hit and miss. Jesus sends them out to the villages he was going to go uh, go to, so he's sending them out to prepare his way. They just got to stop at a village, preach the gospel, see what happens. But Jesus gives us a few clues that for those of us who are in a bit more, we're not itinerant, most of us, we're in stable relationships, we're in the same place. Uh, we don't need to go by trial and error but we can look in the places where we have relationships. Where do you have relationships? Where are the places you know people? Well, your family. Maybe not everyone in your family is a Christian. Sometimes family can be difficult, can't it? Because they've heard it all from you and they just want you to stop banging on about it. Okay, what about your workplace? What about your community? What are the signs we can look for for our relationships in these? First thing to remember is when we come to thinking about people of peace that a person of peace is going to be different for each one of us because our relationships are different. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and you really like them but someone else hates their guts? <laughs> and it's like getting, getting an idea who might be a person of peace to each other in this, in this case then. There are people who are going to hate me but love you. They're not going to be a peace, person of peace to me, but they might well be to you. And the first key to identifying a person of peace is simply this, identifying someone who likes you. In verse 6, Jesus says, if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And then in verse 8, he says, they're the kind of people who will welcome you, welcome you into their lives. There is a peace in your relationship with a person of peace. I would say actually it's probably more than a peace. There's, there's that connection. This might be someone among your friendship circle that you particularly get on well with, but it might not. Maybe you have a colleague or client that you get on well with. You wouldn't necessarily call them a friend, but you get on well with them. might be someone in your club or sporting group. It might be a neighbour. Do neighbours even talk anymore? Yeah. They do. Good. <laughs> Mine don't. You can find people of peace in the most unusual places. You know, sometimes you'll actually just be brushing shoulders briefly with a person of peace. Uh, you might find yourself in the, the same space for a little while. I don't know if you're on holidays on a tour or, or just doing something and you just have a connection. You know, sometimes there's those people you just connect with briefly and you wish I could get to know this person better. Getting on with someone isn't the only mark of a person of peace, but it's a pretty good start, isn't it, that... It's okay 
to be reaching out to people we like. Now, sometimes Jesus will prompt us to reach out to someone we don't like, but we're just talking about a general strategy here. If your peace remains, if there's peace in that relief, if there's something there, then they welcome you. They might be a person of peace. So a person of peace is someone who likes you. The second aspect of your peace remaining on someone is that they listen to you. They respect what you have to say. So you might think, well, if they like me, they probably listen to me. Well, it doesn't always go together. So when I was young, I had a friend who was a compulsive liar. He told some whoppers and it was like he believed them. It was unbelievable. So we got on okay. We hung out in the same social circles and that sort of thing. But there was no way I was listening to anything he said. Couldn't trust a word he said. And occasionally I had to pull him up in public and, you know. On the other hand, there have been times uh, when people have had something good to say to me for whatever reason and I just wasn't in the place to receive it. Maybe there was something in our relationship. Maybe I was just in a bad place. But that person would probably say, Alex isn't a person of peace to me. I've also been blessed with people who come into my life and I've welcomed what they say. They bring words of wisdom. They bring words of life. Maybe they even bring words of correction, but the relationship is such that I'm willing to receive that. And, you know, I think they might say that I'm a person of peace to them. So in verses 9 to 12, Jesus said to the 72, when you enter a town, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And this is our job ultimately when we're sharing the gospel is letting people know, hey, the kingdom of God is near to you. And do you know how the kingdom of God is near to them? Do you know why you can confidently say that? Because you're part of God's kingdom and you are near to them. So the kingdom of God is near to them. And if you're in proximity to them often, the kingdom of God is near to them all the time. But if we're going to share Jesus with people in our lives, it's, it's helpful to know that they're going to hear us out, isn't it? Um, we, we want to know that there's sort of people who respect what we say. If they won't listen to us about inconsequential things, if they're always pushing back and argumentative or, or maybe just hard-hearted, if they don't listen to us about lesser things, what are the chances of them listening to us about deeper things, about the things of God? Again, this doesn't mean always that it's a reason not to tell them, but maybe we want to be looking for these people too as part of that. Who, who are my people of peace? Now, this principle does stand. A person of peace is someone who listens to you, but there is a challenge here for us. Why, If they don't listen to you, why? Why aren't they listening? Is it because of them, something in them, or is it something in me? If someone doesn't listen to me because I'm abrasive or I'm foolish with my words or for whatever reason and there's something in me, that's on me. And I really need to check my heart and mouth because do I want to be that kind of person? Don't I want to be the kind of person who has something worth listening to, who speaks words of life and wisdom and who knows when not to speak? Now, some people are just too hard-hearted and self-centred to listen to others and their opinions. And in that case, maybe we need to consider Jesus' words when he said in Matthew 7, 6, uh, not to toss your pearls before pigs. But we just want to check our hearts. 
So a person of peace is someone who likes you. A person of peace is someone who listens to you. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. And so the third principle, the third key to finding a person of peace is that they are someone who serves you in some way. It might only be a small way, but an act of service just indicates that they value you, doesn't it? Um, I had a friend, uh, we were in a games group together, and uh, he'd, actually, he'd buy me beers. And uh, I thought, maybe he's a person of peace, and he'd sometimes take me, give me a lift to the game. It was a small thing, but it was a thing. Well, it turned out he actually wasn't a person of peace. And when I asked him, would you like to read the Bible? He was like, no. Nah. But it wasn't weird because we had the relationship. I just hadn't come out of the blue. I have a friend who spontaneously just one day mowed his neighbour's lawn. It was getting a bit unruly. He was mowing his lawn. It wasn't a big thing. But his neighbour was so grateful he ended up inviting him to a barbecue, served him. And turned out he was a person of peace. I heard of another guy who would occasionally uh, chat to a bloke who fished near him on the pier. Didn't know him apart from that. They just happened to share that space. Now, he knew just from their interactions that this guy liked him um, and that they talked. He'd listened to him, but he figured, no, nah, this guy doesn't serve me in any way. It's like, so he's probably not a person of peace, which actually we want to see. A person of peace will probably have these three things in place for you. Then one day uh, they're just talking and, you know, he's throwing a few things about um, just fishing to see if this guy is spiritual or interested. So, yeah, he's ramping up the conversation slowly. But he ends up mentioning that he has a sore knee. And this guy who he's sort of just random stranger he's been fishing with for some time gets down on his knees and starts examining his knee. It's like, it turns out he was an orthopedic specialist. <laughs> and so the guy's like, oh. Okay, now he's serving me. And he says, would you, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Would you be interested? And the guy's like, yeah, I would actually. Found a person of peace. So people will serve us in all sorts of ways. You know, maybe it's a colleague at work or at uni or wherever who makes you a coffee or sends you memes. I mean, if someone is sending you memes, that means they're thinking about you, Right? So who serves you? Maybe they're a person of peace. A person of peace likes you, they listen to you, they serve you. So who are the people of peace in your life? You might need to go away and process little for a little bit. The question is, what do you do once you identify them? Before we get up to that, I'd like to invite Andrea just to uh, come up. And could um, do you have your microphone there, Rose? Could thank you. I just wanted Andrea to share share a story because Andrea's. Um, there's a few of us you've heard me talk about building a cycling culture, um, and Andrea's one of the people who's been doing that. So two years ago, we started this journey of um, finding our people of peace, and um, I thought about the people in my world and there were several that came to mind and over the course of time a couple of them I've said to them you know would you like to read the bible with me and uh, 
yes, yes, but over time things have kind of fizzled out. Um, or they've, uh, they've moved away, you know, it's become more difficult. And so that was somewhat of a frustration for me. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I just really cha felt challenged by where I was at with that whole journey. But one of the people who I'd identified right at the beginning um, is still in my life, and I see her at work. Um, anyway, I just felt it was just time to make prayer and fasting a part of my weekly rhythm so that every Wednesday I committed to doing a season of prayer and fasting for people of peace, for mission in our world, for the church. Um, so two weeks ago, that was my first day, and I did not like that. I was saying to Alex, I don't think I want to keep doing this. <laughs> so that was the Wednesday. I arrived at work on Thursday, and this particular person of peace that I'd identified two years ago, we were just sitting down and she said, oh, Andrea, I happened to watch The Passion of the Christ last night. And not only did I watch it, but my husband, who hasn't any interest whatsoever, he came and watched it with me. And that led to a whole lot of discussion. But this is someone who's had a number of conversations with me but hasn't really shown a lot of interest. And I was just amazed that that day of prayer and fasting followed by this conversation. So God is at work and just the power of prayer. Yeah. Thanks, babe. So, yeah, what do we do when we identify a person of peace? And I like that story from Andrea because, you know, it is, it's not an instant thing takes time we're journeying with people and and god is at work but we've got to sort of catch his pace and it's not always instant so first and foremost what andrea said there is pray actually i include this point because jesus said pray do you have friends in your life who you wish could hear the gospel you probably do pray for them is your heart moved by so many needs in the world but you're flat out and you, you just you don't know what to do. What can you do, even if you had time? So here, both for your friends and for strangers and needs, pray that God will raise up workers to go into the harvest field. Pray that someone will talk to your friend. Have you ever thought of that? It's like it, you, it's not just reliant on you. Pray when you're watching the news and you just get a burden and you're like, oh, what? what can we do about that? God, send someone into that situation. Pray that God will give you a boldness to go into the harvest field because he is sending us. And what a joy would it be if you could lead a friend, a person of peace to the Lord. So pray. And second, you don't have to be an evangelist. Uh, you can invite them. Invite them to read the Bible with you over coffee or invite them to a church service if we've got a special on or an event that you think they'd be interested in. I mean, you might watch them. So Andrea is talking about sending uh, the link to The Chosen to this colleague. Um, 
invite them to watch The Chosen, maybe with you, or uh, and have a chat about it. There are so many ways that we can start a spiritual conversation. You don't have to, if for those of you who remember the four spiritual laws, you don't just have to give them the four spiritual laws. Although, sometimes having those little handy, if you don't know what that is, don't ask me afterwards because I can't remember what the four spiritual laws are. I, I like them. Something called the bridge to life, which if you're interested, I'll tell you. It's just a little uh, handy visual explanation of the gospel. And having them in your back pocket can really actually be helpful in the moment. But if you don't, it's like, have you got a Bible? Open it up. Let's just read maybe the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke or something. So, you know... The other thing is, if, if you can't think, you go away this week and think, I don't know if I have a personal peace in my life. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in the Christian bubble. That's easy for me as a pastor. Put yourself in a place. You've got to position yourself where you might find a person of peace. So I've actually joined a club for this reason, just to see if, you know, just putting putting my net out there and see what happens. Um, which, by the way, is exactly what cross-cultural missionaries do. And uh, that's sort of why I'm talking about this. You and I, we can be missionaries right here in our own backyard. So who likes you? Who listens to you? Who serves you? Who are your people of peace? You might just be a missionary to them. Let's pray. So, Father, we just want to obey Jesus right now. And, Father, I pray that there will be more workers in your harvest field. Father, we pray that you will raise up uh, full-time ministry people, um, full-time missionaries here in Australia and overseas to go and speak into people's lives. But, Father, I pray that you, by your spirit, will equip us and embolden us to be missionaries here as well. And, Father, I pray that each of us will identify people of peace and be bold just to invite them into a discussion about Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.